everyone. I'm Jim Santos, and this is Bigger, Better World from International Living. In this podcast series, we introduce you to a bigger world full of communities that are safe, welcoming, beautiful, and largely undiscovered. A better world, a friendly, warm, great value world where you can live richer, travel more, invest for profit, and enjoy a better life. We talk with our writers and other people just like you who took a chance and followed our guidance to create for themselves bigger, better lives all around the world. Let's get to it. Welcome to Bigger, Better World. Today we're joined by International Living's Mexico correspondent, Wendy Justice, who was able to take early retirement at age 51 and take up living abroad. She's been traveling, writing, and taking photos along her journey since 2005 and is currently living in Santiago de Querétaro in the hills of central Mexico. Wendy, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Hi, happy to be here. Now, Wendy, I do want to get into talking to you about Mexico and uh, this region that you're in now. But first of all, it's kind of unique that you've spent so much time now living outside of the country. So wondering if you could give our listeners a little bit of insight into the road that led you here. Where did you start off in your life abroad? Well, the, the first time I'd really spent any time abroad to speak of um, was in Germany back in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And when I first went there, I was just certain that I was going to hate it. People, you know, they weren't English speakers. The food was different. You know, it was going to be, you know, unpleasant. But when I got there, I was just so surprised that I just loved it. And I think that was a really important step to take to realize that um, if I could live in Germany, I could live anywhere. And were you there for work? Um, Actually, my ex-husband was in the military. So we were there for about two years in a little town called Wielflecken. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, A lot of people that I've talked to in, in our experience also have that same kind of feeling. You, It seems like it's going to be this incredible challenge. And then once you've done it, you kind of wonder what the what the big deal was, what you were so afraid of. My, my funny story with this is going into a restaurant and I, I knew that coffee and, and in German was coffee. So I, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I can do that. And <laughs> so I, I fed Kathy and she brought me a cup of coffee. And, and then when I wanted to have a refill, I banged my cup on the table <laughs> and held it out to her. And she says to me, do you want another cup of coffee? <laughs> in English. Right? Oh, hey, some people here understand English. There's hope. You know, I'm going to be okay with this. And, you know, over the next two years, I actually got pretty good with German. But I found that, you know, the majority of people, and this is anywhere in the world, you're going to find, you're going to find English speakers wherever you go. And right. it's really not that much of a barrier wherever you are in the world. Yeah, I noticed that in uh, Europe. Uh, especially because I guess because the countries are so close together and have so much business with each other. Uh, we had mm-hmm. a, a waiter in Italy who spoke seven languages. So you know, sometimes I uh, think Americans ought to think about their own education when we focus so much on our own language and just expect other people uh, to speak it. But it is a nice surprise when you run into it like that. Okay. So after Germany, what was your next stop? Yeah. So I, I came back to the U.S. and lived for quite a while after that. In 2003, my husband and I took a trip to Southeast Asia, and it was a place I'd always wanted to go. My grandparents had been to Thailand um, back when I was really little and just came back with these exotic tales of what it was like there. And it was a place I always wanted to go to. So in 2003, we took a trip to um, Thailand and Cambodia. And, you know, sure enough, I just loved the place. And I remember we spent three weeks there. 
And the whole flight back home, I was crying. And I told my husband, I said, I don't want this vacation to end. I'm not ready for this. And we really made a decision right there on the flight back that we were going to work as hard as possible to retire as soon as we could. Mm -hmm. And that took two years. Um, In 2005, we bought uh, one-way tickets to Hong Kong. And at that time, we had the idea that we were just going to travel around the world. But as it turned out, we liked Southeast Asia so much that we ended up spending the next um, 16 years there. Traveled around the area, through China, through that whole region. Ended up spending about a year in Chiang Mai in Thailand. Moved from there to Kuala Lumpur for two and a half years. And then uh, just fell in love with Vietnam and lived in Vietnam for about 11 years. Yeah. Wow, and that's, uh... stayed there until... Um, Last summer, actually, a, a year and a half ago, in mm-hmm. 2021, ended up moving to Mexico. Now, about Mexico, uh, we know that Mexico came up in the number two spot in the International Living 2023 Global Retirement Index this year. Uh, so there's there's a lot to be attracted to there. But what was it that attracted you to Mexico? One of the um, – uh, the reason why, actually, I left Southeast Asia um, and left Vietnam in particular – is that there wasn't any way to legally live there. You know, you could get tourist visas or temporary, you know, one-month, three-month visas, but unless you had a full-time job with a Vietnamese employer, um, they didn't have any sort of retirement visa or anywhere, any way to acquire permanent residency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up having to leave because I couldn't justify being there, and the government said, hey, you've been here for 11 years now on a tourist visa or a business visa, but you're not doing business, so you need to leave. Mm-hmm. So I started researching different places and um, eventually had a choice in my own head between moving to Mexico or moving to Ecuador and checked out the residency requirements and the permanent residency options for both countries. And Mexico's was just really easy. So that was really you know, the primary thing that got me here. I already knew people who lived in this area in uh, Carretero and a town uh, just outside of here called uh, Tiki's Kiapan. And everybody said, oh, you're, you're going to love it here. Come down, bring a suitcase and, you know, see what you think. And that was about a year and a half ago. Now I've been here ever since. Had you traveled to Mexico before? I'd, I'd been as a tourist, and mm. never to live. I'd, I'd been to, you know, Cancun and um, Tulum and Chichen Itza, been to um, you know, the Baja before. Mm-hmm. My uh, brother actually lived in uh, Michoacan State in uh, Patsguaro and Morelia. So I'd been to that area before, but mm-hmm. I'd never actually lived here until I guess it was August 2021. Now, your article uh, that we wanted to talk about was in the May 2022 edition of International Living. It was called Mexico's Pink City, Tidy Upscale Living on 1600 a Month. Now, one of the reasons Mexico scored uh, just outscored Panama and ended up in the number two spot this year is because of the strong U.S. dollar and the conversion rates for the the Mex- or for the dollar and the peso. But you, I believe you say in the article that that actually this is one of the more expensive places that you might want to live in Mexico. It is, and um, you know, to be honest, since that article was written, it's gotten to be a little bit more expensive. And the main reason why is because back then the exchange rate was about 22 pesos to a dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, right now it's about 19 and a half pesos to a dollar. So that's 
you know, basically it's 10% more now than it was then. The Mexico isn't the only place where that's true right now. It seems like everything's gotten a little more expensive since May of last year. Yeah, it has. And I think between the, the dollar being weak against the Mexican peso and then Mexico having their own inflation was just running about 8% a year or so. You know, it's definitely made a difference. But even so, it's it's very affordable. I, I can still go out and, and get a get a, a four course meal for three dollars. So I can't mm-hmm. complain. Yeah, in the articles you brought up the local delicacy of gorditos. Gorditas, yeah. Is, uh, I think that's a play on the word gordo for fat. So I'm, I'm picturing a big overstuffed sandwich. If you ate enough of them, I, I think that would be quite accurate. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're they're basically just uh, kind of a fluffy or a dense corn tortilla. That's been filled with either meat or potatoes and carrots or mm. cheese, and then fried on both sides on a grill. So they're they're kind of a Mexican style fried dumpling. Right. And <laughs> it, from what I hear, it used to be in Corredero that if you wanted to go out to eat, you would have gorditas because that's all that was available. Mm. Um, but this area, fortunately, has grown since then, and now you can get a lot of different things. But they're still really popular. The locals love them. Yeah, how big a city is this? How many uh, people are we talking here? So I notice it has its own international airport. It does. Um, I, I believe right now the population is about 1.3 million. Okay, so it's a good size city. And then the, the airport is also um, the main one that people would use if they live in San Miguel de Allende because we're only mm-hmm. about 45 minutes from there. Um, so it, it serves as a pretty big regional airport for, for Corredero, for Tiki's Kiapan, for uh, San Miguel. And I, I think, you know, and, and then. You also have the option, of course, of the Mexico City Airport, but it's a nice airport to fly in and out of just because it's so little. So it's really right. easy to get your way around. And if you go through customs, it takes about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's pretty handy to have it here. And they have direct flights to um, Houston, to Dallas, to Chicago, and I believe also to Los Angeles. So you can you can get to the States very easily and quickly. Okay, so even though you are in the mountains there, it's not exactly a remote location. No, it's not remote, no, and we're only three and a half hours from Mexico City. Uh, you, you paint a picture in the article of, of a kind of an old world charm, especially in the historic district, yet you mentioned that there's also things like Costco and Sam's Club. But, um, yeah, it's got a lot of, it's well, first of all, I believe it's the fastest growing city right now in Latin America. Hmm. Um, so you have the center historico, which is where everything started, and then Everything has grown out from there. So the, the Centro is, is very much an old world charm. You know, you, you could be in Spain, you could be anywhere in, in old Europe. And it's it's really nice. And I think most of the people who are retired in Corredero live in Centro. Um, but you go a short distance out of Centro, and then you're in the different uh, commercial areas where, yeah, we have a Sam's Club, we have a Costco, there's big shopping malls, there's there's um, gated communities and things like that. So you can really choose a lifestyle that you want to live here if if you want to just wander the cobblestone streets and, you know, eat at the little little restaurants that have, you know, been in business for generations. Or if you want something more modern, you know, you want to go to Denny's or IHOP, we have that too. Your description also of the, the local shops where you, you have your own butcher and baker and, you know, everything just kind of in your own little area there really reminded me of places in Europe like Florence, where you have this kind of real neighborhood feel. Is that something that attracted you to that area also, just this idea of living in a small community inside a big city? Very much, yes. Yeah, We actually live just um, right outside of Central, 
you know, we're, we're close enough where there's a lot of overlap between the two, but we have a little fish store that we go to where we get our shrimp and, mm-hmm. you know, tuna and things like that, fresh, fresh seafood. Um, we have a little laundry lady. We take everything to, um, we have a, a carniceria, a meat market where we can get a high quality of meat if we want, don't want to go to the big stores. Um, there's markets nearby. So, you know, we we could go to Walmart or Costco and get everything we want. But I think part of the fun of living here is making those human connections with these little shops and the storekeepers and the people in the neighborhood. I know whenever I go out, you know, I walk down my street or really anywhere in this neighborhood and people are greeting me because they know mm-hmm. who I am. You know, and I, I do patronize the local businesses. Yeah, that's something we really enjoyed in uh, Ecuador also were the, their mercados and seeing these same people a couple of times a week because when the vegetables are that fresh, you know, you don't stock up. You just buy them when you need them. And it, mm-hmm. it was nice seeing the same faces and the smiles and they, they know what you like. You ask for avocados and they say, oyo mañana, you know, you're going to have them today or tomorrow. So you get one that's just the right ripeness. It's just a really nice way to live. It is. You know, or I'll go to a store and they'll go, well, where is your husband? Is he okay? You know, so <laughs> I always have to take him with me or, you know, the whole neighborhood's going to be chattering. Her husband wasn't there. I hope he's okay. <laughs> Pretty cute, actually. We've made a lot of a lot of nice acquaintances here. So you do have local friends also. It's not just uh, like an expat community. I at this point, I'd say I have more Mexican friends than I have expat friends here. Are there a lot of expats in town? As far as retirees, I'd say that there's probably less than 200 mm-hmm. in the city. Um, when you get out into the suburban areas like Hurica and Hurikia, um, which are about 20 minutes drive from Centro, um, and you get a lot of employees there. They have a big aerospace industry and aviation and um engineering and things like that. And you get a lot of expat, younger younger expats and people with kids and families that, that tend to live in those areas. Um, but for some reason, they don't really like living in Central. And we seldom, if ever, go to those parts of town where they live. So mm-hmm. there's not really any interaction to speak of. This is people who are there for their job. Right. But as far as the retirees go, you know, we pretty much all know each other. And you know, we have uh, occasional get-togethers or we'll take organized walks and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's not a big community, but it's it's a closely knit community. That's something uh, that I used to hear all the time from people is, I don't know what I would do living in another country. Can you tell us what a typical day is like for you? I seem to have something to do every day. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm busy all the time. I, I love going for walks in Centro, and I try to do that several times a week. I love just walking in the neighborhoods and the parks here. When I do my shopping, that's often a full day thing because I'm going to stop in all these little shops and, you know, chatter and ask them how they are and how their families are and maybe have a cup of coffee with them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of community connection in my typical day. And then I'm I'm always planning for, you know, new places to go to, to check out. Um, in another 10 days or so, I'm going to go to Mexico City for a few days and, you know, kind of explore um, that city because I haven't been there yet. Mm-hmm. Recently came back from Merida in the Yucatan Peninsula, recently came back from Oaxaca in the, the Southern Highlands, and and recently took a three-day trip up to San Miguel de Lende just to check it out. So there's really a lot to do in this area, and it it seems like uh, the people I know, we're, we're all busy all the time. I think most expats feel 
Like they never really have much in the way of plans, but they seem to always be busy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> our, our landlord likes to come over and chat. So, you know, he'll, he'll come over for five minutes and it turns into a couple hours. And, you know, there's, there's always time to have that happen. And mm-hmm. it's always nice. And, yeah. you know, and, and again, to make that connection with the local people. You know, one of the things uh, the article that also uh, stood out to me was one of the reasons it's possible to live there on a uh, so affordable budget is because if you're living near the central area, you have no need for a car, which is an incredibly big cost savings uh, for most people. Is it very easy to get around within the city? How's the public transportation there? It's really easy. Um, I, I can walk to 98% of the places I want to go to. And, you know, for for me, that's anything within about a mile and a half of where I live. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is practically everything. If I want to go to the supermarket or Almost everything I want to do, I can walk to. Hmm. They do have a good public bus system here. It's called QR, QRO, which is really the abbreviation for Corretero. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called QRO Bus. Um, because I'm a senior, I have a senior discount card, which is called an Inapam card. Mm-hmm. And I get a discount on my bus fare. So I can take a public bus anywhere in the city for nine pesos, which is about 45 cents. Mm-hmm. Um if I didn't have the Inapam card, it would cost 11 pesos. So that's 55 cents. <laughs> so it makes it really affordable and the buses go everywhere. And overall, I'd say they're reasonably efficient. If I'm really you know, in a hurry to get somewhere and I don't want to take the bus, I can take a taxi. And we have both Uber and um, another company called DD, D-I-D-I, mm-hmm. which is the one that I usually use. But usually you can... You can uh, put in an order for a taxi and within 10 or 15 minutes, they're picking you up and taking you to where you're going. And the nice thing is you're probably never really feeling like you're pushed for time anyway. So what's another 15 minutes, right? You know, if it's a matter of 15 minutes for me, I'll walk. (laughs) (laughs) And we do sometimes, you know, if the bus doesn't come along in 10 or 15 minutes, it's like, okay, it's a couple kilometers away, you know, 1.2 miles, just go ahead and walk it. And, you know, we're, we're there and in 45 minutes. If you're tired, it's like a three or $4 cab ride back, right? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes less. I took one, I took one just yesterday. I took a taxi about three kilometers. I think it came out to 38 pesos. So not even $2. Mm-hmm. Uber usually is a little bit more than DD. Um, I think they offer the same service, but mm-hmm. if I take an Uber, it would have been about 50 pesos and DD is 38. But it's still like Uber here. The payment's done online. You don't actually hand cash over with Uber. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we have we have those. We, there's another one called Capify, which does some some uh, has some taxis around the area, and you can always hail a taxi too. But because I'm not really that fluent in Spanish, I I speak some, but I don't speak it like a local. Right. I like the idea of knowing exactly how much my fare is going to be beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I like hailing a taxi rather than flagging one down. Now you mentioned you uh, chose the area because you had friends living. Near the area, mm-hmm. yeah. Did you consider any of the other parts of Mexico? So, I know one of the reasons why it scored so high in the uh, retirement index this year was because of the variety of climates and lifestyle opportunities in this in the country. It's really a very large country. Uh, so, did you think about any of the other places, or just decide to try that out first? Um, we didn't really have that much of a plan when we went here. You know, as I was saying, we kind of had to leave Southeast Asia, and when we um, initially we flew back to the States and, you know, we said, well, where are we going to go? We got to go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's saying, well, we're down here in Corretro. Why don't you come and see us? So we didn't really consider the other places. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we have thought about Patsquaro and Moralia because I like the climate there and, and it's nice, but I also like big cities. And that was something that attracted me to Corretero is, mm-hmm. you know, I like that to have that variety of, you know, things to do and, you know, shopping and entertainment and that kind of thing that you get from a larger city. Mm-hmm. But we really hadn't explored a lot of the parts of Mexico that I, I was would have been interested in had I been familiar with them. And I'm thinking like Oaxaca in particular. I think if I had been to Oaxaca before, that that would have that is a place I could imagine myself living at. But you know, at at that time it was just a place on a map. So I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. When I lived in Vietnam, I was used to really hot, humid, tropical climate. And I thought, as long as I'm going to be in another country and I can pick my climate, because in Mexico, you really can, I want something that's going to be cooler and drier. So that was the thing that attracted me to the central highlands where we are now. What is the climate like there? My landlord jokes that we have four seasons every day. (laughs) That's a Um, saying in uh, the highlands of Ecuador also. There's four seasons in every day. So (laughs) yeah. Must be universal and, to and that you part dress of the country. In, you dress in layers. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, at this time of year, it's going down um, around 40, 40, between 42 to 45 at night, mm-hmm. um, getting up in the mid-70s during the day. It will get warmer in the summer, but it still doesn't get really hot. It, it might it might get above 90 for a couple of days, but that's that's really about as hot as it's going to get here is, is the low 90s. And then I've never seen it colder than maybe 38 or so in the winter time. So it's it's really nice. And almost every day it's going to be up in the 70s or the 80s during the day. That's typical. Mm-hmm. And I think for me at least, that's that's just a perfect climate. It's nice and cool at night, nice and warm during the day. I believe it's just about under 6,000 feet, the altitude there. I think we're about 5,800 here. Yeah, is that high enough to get you above most of the insect life? We have mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're happy living anywhere on Earth, so <laughs> we don't really escape them here. But I, yeah. I guess they're worse in other places, actually. But yeah, over, overall, we don't get a lot of insects. I hear reports of scorpions sometimes. Do you get a lot of rain there? It's dry. This mm-hmm. is really a, a pretty much of a desert climate. We've had um, it actually did rain one day in December, which is kind of unusual. Last year, we got a rain in early. November and it didn't rain again until October. Wow. So I think our our average rainfall I'm I'm not actually sure but it's it's considered a semi semi arid desert climate. Oh so that is a big change from Vietnam. Yeah. yeah. That's a big difference and then our, our humidity is really low here. Mm-hmm. What we'll commonly have days where it's less than 20% humidity. Now in a city that size over a million people, I'd assume you also have some decent uh, healthcare in the area. It's actually a medical hub. I think Corretero and Mexico City probably have the best healthcare in Mexico. Mm. And um, they have hospitals here that, you know, people will travel from all over the country to receive their medical care here. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I think I've had more experience with that here than I wish I had, <laughs> but the care that I've received has been outstanding and really reasonably priced. Mm-hmm. But compared to U.S. prices, it's just you know downright cheap. Um, and the dental care too is is extraordinarily good. Um, most of the doctors speak English. The equipment is modern. The facilities are hygienic. 
I have nothing but good things to say about healthcare in this town. And is that all uh, private medicine, or is there a state-run uh, healthcare plan also? They have two different um, government-run programs in Mexico. One is called IMSS, which um, a lot of employees are covered with under their employers. But people who have legal residency in Mexico um, are also eligible to have that. And that gets you care in an IMSS hospital where your medical care is included, your uh, prescriptions are all included. And there's a small um, annual fee that they do it on a sliding scale, but it can be anywhere from about 200 to $800 per year mm-hmm. for one person. And that 800 would be if you're over the age of 80. So it's pretty good that if you're 80 years old, you can apply for the IMSS insurance and know that you have coverage um, basically at any IMSS hospital in the country. If you don't have the money to spend for that and you're a legal resident, you can also qualify for the Insabi public health program, which is free to anybody who is uninsured, whether you're Mexican or a temporary or permanent legal resident. And they have their own hospitals. In some areas, they're considered to be quite good. In other areas, not so much. I've never used one, but people have said that you really have to have a a good knowledge of Spanish or have a translator with you if you want to receive care there. Right. But the good thing with Insabi is that they'll take anybody regardless of your medical condition. So um, they don't have any sort of pre-existing condition qualifiers or anything like that. And again, as as it is with IMSS, which will exclude certain pre-existing conditions, Mm-hmm. And Sabi will pay for all your medical care and all your prescriptions. And is IMSS also open to immigrants if you just have a residency permit? As long as you're a legal resident, yes. Yeah. That means that you could not go, you could not get IMSS care if you were a tourist. Mm-hmm. But as long as you have temporary or permanent residency, then you qualify for it. When you went through the residency process, was it necessary to show that you already had insurance? No, there's no requirement at all to show that. You know, and this is what I was saying earlier. It was really such an easy process to get residency. I know when I checked in with some other countries, they want to see that, you know, you've you've gotten a police report or FBI clearance check or, mm-hmm. um, you know, have have something, um, lots of things apostiled or notarized or. And with Mexico, you you just pretty much you go there with your bank statements and say here they are, and they go okay, you qualify. It was really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have to go through any of those checks, didn't have to show insurance. Um, we didn't even have to show a marriage license. We just went in there and, and provided the the proof that we qualified, that we met the financial guidelines. And it was approved um, initially in the U.S. And then we got the final approval once we came here. What is the financial requirement? What kind of steady income do you have to show in order to qualify as a resident? They've just increased that. So if you um, are going to apply for a temporary residency. That's a visa that's valid for in one year increments up to four years. So if you haven't decided you want to commit forever to living here mm-hmm. um, and just are, you know, see yourself working or, or living here for a period of up to four years, you can get that if you can show that you have a monthly income or pension of about 3000 
one hundred and eleven dollars mm-hmm. or fifty one thousand eight hundred and sixty dollars in investments and um, ultimately you can qualify for temporary residency if you own a home in Mexico worth at least four hundred and nineteen thousand us mm-hmm. permanent residency um, if you can show that you have investments or bank accounts with an average monthly balance of at least two hundred and seven thousand four hundred and forty dollars or social security or regular pension of $5,186 per month. Is that per person or per family? That would be per person. And then um, I believe a dependent would need to show 25% of that figure. Now, the other thing with those figures is that it's going to depend very much on which consulate in the U.S. you turn in your application for. And I'm not sure exactly how they do their calculations. It's based on a, a multiple of the maximum Mexican minimum wage, right? but it seems as if different consulates will take those minimum wages from different parts of the country. And as a result, the uh, income requirements in Seattle are going to be much different from those in McAllen, Texas. Mm-hmm. And currently, McAllen, Texas has the lowest requirements of any consulate in the U.S. And I think what they're requiring right now is roughly maybe 75% of what you would have to pay if you were going through New York or Chicago, which are much higher. If you're thinking, well, I can't quite afford, you know, I don't have quite that much money in the bank, check at the Mm -hmm. uh, residency income requirements in McAllen because there'll be quite a bit less there. Do a little due diligence and price shop before you do it, right? Yep. You go shopping around for the best deal, (laughs) (laughs) like everything else in Mexico. Right. I think in life itself. You know, something else uh, I noticed in your article, and this is usually very important when I meet people at conferences or, you know, just talk to them about expat life in general, they always want to know how safe it is. So I thought it was interesting to find out that Carrataro is listed as the second lowest crime rate of any Mexican city. The second lowest after Merida, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. You know, you're always going to have some crime and Mm -hmm. you can't get 1.3 million people together and not have some crime. But it tends not to be violent crime here. We don't have any cartel violence at all here. Mm-hmm. So it is safe. You know, I, I think all of us expats will go out at night, walk in the streets. And, you know, I've never heard of anybody having any sort of incident with getting mugged or, you know, any problem like that. It just doesn't happen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our experience in Ecuador was basically that they were crimes of opportunity. If you left your purse unattended, uh, there's a chance it might disappear. If you have your cell phone sitting on the table and turn around to talk to somebody, it may not be there when you turn back. I think it's the same here, but more than likely it will be there when you come back. You know, you'll you'll go there and it's like, oh, in fact, this happened to my husband just recently and and he left his his wallet in a store Mm -hmm. and we got home and he reaches in his pocket and he goes, oh no, I better go back over there. I hope it's still there. And I'm over there, you know, giving him dirty looks. Right. <laughs> and sure enough, 15 minutes later, he comes back with the wallet in the hand mm-hmm. and said, oh, they had it behind the counter for me. So, you know, people are, people are sweet. They're honest. And, you know, you don't worry about crime here. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know anyone who does, you know, what, what they're saying here, and I'll expand this a little bit. And it's it's a rumor, but it's it's a pretty you know widely repeated one. You know they do have violence throughout Mexico, and I think in terms as to take the entire country, and you're you're going to have some figures that are fairly high for crime, um, and especially for the cartels. But what happens is that the cartel people they don't want their family members being hurt. 
Mm-hmm. Or being killed. So what they've done is they've taken a couple of prosperous cities in Mexico and they've moved their families and their grandparents and um, their aunts and uncles to these places. And if they're just kind of have this little agreement that that place is off limits. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened in Merida and it's what happened in Guerrero. Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, sometimes we might see a Bentley going down the street or a Rolls Royce or something. There's one that parks over by a little taco shop near me all the time. And I know that they didn't get that by selling tacos. Right. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's probably, you know, the son of, of you know, he's visiting his grandparents. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we, we don't worry about that here. It doesn't happen. It's a safe city. Well, it's nice to hear. That uh, I assume you're renting your home there. Yeah, we, we could buy if we wanted to, but we we want to live here a little longer and decide whether we want to make it more permanent or move to, um, to another place, either in Mexico or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. I think once you start uh, sampling as many different countries as you have, there's always that question in the back of your mind: uh, What am I missing? You know, what else is there out there I might want to take a look at? You see, you know, the first time I tried it, I, I'm going oh, I'm going to hate this. And then I found out I didn't. And now I think about all these different places in the world. And it's like, oh, I want to go out there and I'm going to love it, you know? So it's a different mindset now than what I used to have. And I do love Mexico. I I find the people here are just, you know, charming in every way. They're wonderful people. So it it really has been enriching to be here. I was about to ask you what was the favorite part about living in Mexico, but it sounds like it is the people. To me, it always comes back to the people. Is there anything that surprised you about your life there now? Surprised me. Let's see. I'm surprised that I like Mexican food as much as I do. Um, I'm originally from Ohio, and in Ohio, um, well, if you're in Tennessee, you know this, but you know Mexican food is not much of a thing in in Eastern U.S. And I certainly didn't grow up with Mexican food. I used to think Taco Bell was Mexican food, you know. But I've come here and. You know, I've expected everything to be spicy, everything to have, um, you know, rice and beans. And I had this pre preconception of what Mexican food was like um, mm. based on my experiences in the U.S. And when I've come here, it's it's different and it's much better. There's a lot of really healthy Mexican food and um, I don't have much of a spice tolerance. And I find that I have no problem finding food here that isn't spicy. And it's very flavorful. So that's been a really good surprise. Mm-hmm. When I was in Vietnam, I would often find a restaurant where I could get, you know, a hamburger or spaghetti or fried chicken or something that was familiar to me. Mm-hmm. I don't seem to have that urge in Mexico. It's like I'm eating comfort food every day. Right. <laughs> Been down at my local taco, taco shop. You know, it's it's just good food and I like it. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of Americans might be surprised about that. You go to what's supposed to be ethnic restaurants in the United States, and then you move to that country and actually try the real food, and it could be quite different. I know we had the same experience in Italy. We we thought it was going to be pasta, 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 and it uh, really wasn't like that. We actually saw had more risotto than we had pasta. I think in some cases that, that can be a good thing. I know I, I grew up with American Chinese food, and when I went to China, I was shocked because it was so different. Mm-hmm. And really, it's the same thing with the Mexican. I think um, in Mexico, the food is very regional. So if you want a steak, you go to northern Mexico. If you want to have a mole or something like that, that's more in the south. We're more uh, gorditas and tacos and things like that here in Querétaro. And it's one of the delights about traveling around is that you get to sample all these different wonderful cuisines. Absolutely. Travel can be a really eye-opening experience, and that's something that we do try to make sure people understand in these podcasts. So I appreciate you bringing that up here. Yeah. And then we're finding foods that, you know, we thought they were just American-style 
Mexican foods like fajitas, but mm-hmm. fajitas are a big thing in Mexico. Right. And we'd never known that before. Uh, fish tacos is another one that you can get throughout Mexico. Oh, and, one of my you know, personal I favorites. I thought that was something you get at the restaurants in, in the U.S. So the food is great. The food is wonderful here. And it's really affordable, which is nice. Okay. Well, Wendy, I'm afraid we're going to have to stop the podcast now because all this talk about great Mexican food has made me really hungry. <laughs> me too. <laughs> We've been chatting with Wendy Justice, the International Living Mexico correspondent from the charming and affordable city of Querétaro, Mexico. If you'd like to get more information, things to do, medical and dental plans available, the expat community, and much more, you can find it in the feature story of the May 2022 issue of International Living magazine, Mexico's Pink City, Tidy, Upscale Living on 1600 a Month. Thanks again for joining us today, Wendy. Thanks for having me. The Bigger, Better World podcast is a production of International Living. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you have an idea for an episode or a question you'd like us to answer, email us at mailbag at internationalliving.com. And don't forget to put podcast in the subject line of your email. That's mailbag at internationalliving.com. We created Bigger, Better World to help showcase the ideas we explore at International Living each month and grow our community of travel lovers, expats, and experts who believe, as we do, that the world is full of opportunity to create a more interesting, more international life. You don't have to be rich or famous to do that. You just need to know the secrets. And that's what we bring you at International Living. If you haven't become a member yet, you can do it today with a special discount offer for podcast listeners. You'll receive our monthly magazine plus a bundle of special extras. You'll find the link in our show notes, or you can go to intliving.com slash podcast. That's intliving.com slash podcast. Our guest next week is a real treat. I'll be talking with Janice Deerwester, who at the tender age of 70, decided to strike out on her own and move to Fontainebleau, about 40 miles outside of Paris, France. Thanks again for tuning in to Bigger, Better World. I'm Jim Santos for International Living. And I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, there's a bigger, better world just waiting for you.